Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Let's get into the message. How many of you have ever had a bad day? No hands. Amazing. Wow. Uh, Come on. We've had bad days. We've had multiple bad days. We probably have had a week of bad days. Maybe yesterday was a bad day. Maybe as of 11.05, today's not looking so good either. We have bad days. We can't all have good days. Hopefully we have more good days than bad days. But we know in life that we're going to have bad days. Um, We might even have days that are more than bad. Days where we're just tempted to say, this is the worst day ever. My kids say that. We've, we've had a situation similar to this, like just totally on the floor. This is the worst day ever. And usually it's because they had electronics taken away. You can't, no, you can't watch your favorite show. No, you can't play that game anymore. No, you have to do your homework, even though you don't want to do your homework. This is the worst day ever. <laughs> it's like every day is the worst day ever. Um, as adults, we have this happen to us too, right? Um, we usually not because we can't watch our favorite TV show, although that could be you, that's okay. But usually it's because we get an unexpected bill in the mail. This is the worst day ever. Or it could be because we receive a diagnosis that we weren't expecting. This is the worst day ever. Maybe you're in a car accident or maybe your car dies. Uh, My car died a few weeks ago. My son and I, we were on our way to something. We were a little bit of a hurry, and the car wouldn't start. I didn't think this, but my son, I'm pretty sure he said it out loud. This is the worst day ever. (laughs) When we have those days, what is our reaction? Is it to sit and say, this is the worst day ever? And let our emotions take over and and then we, you know, just kind of sit in that for a while and and sulk? Or do we take a step back and think, okay, let's evaluate our circumstances, evaluate what's going on. Maybe, you know, um, take a moment just to, to pray, to look to the Lord. And really, maybe it's not that bad. Today, we're gonna look at the life of David. We're going to look at where David has a couple of bad days, some really bad days. We're going to see how David responds, and hopefully it will give us a clue on how we can respond when we have uh, bad days. Um, We're continuing in our series of uh, 1 Samuel, and today we're going to look at 1 Samuel 29 and 30. And last week, Uh, We saw King Saul, he did not deal with his fear and anxiety too well. He went to mediums and to speak to the dead and this kind of thing. And we're going to contrast that with David today. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 29 and 30. We're going to cover two chapters here. We have a lot of ground to cover. 
Um, so we're gonna kind of go through this as best we can. We're picking up the story. David is going to be, he is with the Philistines. Yes, they are the enemies of Israel. And he is camping out with them, hiding from King Saul. And they are about to go to battle. And we're gonna take a look to see what is going on here. Uh, he is um, fleeing. He's trying to stay alive, all these kinds of things. And so let's pick it up in verse uh, one of chapter 29. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David, of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Let's pause there for just a moment. So the Philistines are gathering. They are at Aphek, and the Israelites are at Jezreel. There's a very uh, natural spring there. It's a great place to encamp. They're preparing to go to battle. And as these Philistine soldiers and everybody's passing by, the commanders, these strategists, these guys who are the one planning out the battle, they see the Hebrews standing here as they're about to fight the Hebrews. What are they doing here? Something's not adding up. And so David and his men are, are here. He's, he's fled. He's in hiding. He's among the Philistines. And so the commanders are wondering, from a military standpoint, this is not a good situation for us. We're about to fight the Israelites, and we have a band, David and his men, who are Israelites, among us. This could not go so well. And so they have these questions. Now, it must be known at this time that David is um, next to be the king of Israel. That must be known already. And so they start thinking through in their heads, this is an issue. This is a problem for us. We have the next king of Israel among our people fighting the current king of Israel. Something's not right here. So they question David. They question his motives. They question his character. They question his loyalty. Because in their mind, this is a perfect opportunity for David to to join, you know, to, to regain his people, to make amends with King Saul. Because what could happen is David, in the midst of the battle, could, one, kill King Saul, gather the troops and say, look, I'm, I'm in charge now, and then come after the Philistines. So Philistines lose no matter what. Or... As they're saying, David could kill the Philistines, take their heads over to King Saul on a platter and say, look, we defeated the Philistines, so now we can be back in your good graces. We don't have to run anymore, right? Well, what the Philistine commanders don't know is that nothing is going to soothe King Saul. King Saul is 
thinking irrationally. Nothing's going to sway him. David, there's no way David can be back in his good graces. It's just not going to happen. And so David is in this situation. They don't trust David to fight on their side. But Achish, he's now defending David. He says, well, you know, David's been under my care for the last several years. He hasn't done anything at this point, so he's good. You know, David, the guy that killed Goliath, forget about that. He's okay. He's good. He's with us. You can trust him. And the Philistine commanders aren't having it. They don't believe it. They're, they're not going to trust him at all. Because Achish is saying if he was going to do something, he would have done it by now. Why wait till the battle to do it? So they have this, this talk. The commanders, maybe they're intimidated by David. I'm not sure. Certainly they know the song. This song must have a really catchy tune. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Because we first learned of that song back in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. And it's been several years, quite a bit of time in the course of David's life. This song is still going around. It must be pretty catchy. They don't trust David. And so they talk it out. They, they vote, outvote Achish, whatever. And so Achish has to now give David the bad news. And so Achish comes to him, and starting in verse 6 and through verse 11, Achish comes to David and says, hey, um, so the commanders, they don't really like you, um, and so you're not going to go down to battle. And David says, well, what do you mean? Of course I am. I've never done anything to you. You know, I, I haven't betrayed you. And so... Um, Achish even appeals to David's faith. He says, uh, as the Lord lives, you have been honest to me. Maybe he's trying to stay in David's good graces. I'm not sure. But he's trying to appeal to David. It's almost like Achish is trying to say, look, those guys over there, they don't trust you. I trust you. It's not me. Don't be mad at me, David. It's those guys that don't want you here. So don't be mad at me. Don't, please don't try to kill me like you did Goliath. Like, it's okay. We're good. Now, David does protest a little bit, but his, his loyalty is being questioned. And I, I don't really think that um, David wants to fight his own people. I mean, he wants to stay hidden, I think. He's still on the run. He doesn't want to be found out by King Saul. And so he's in this sticky situation where his loyalty is being questioned by the Philistines, and so he can't stay there, and maybe they're thinking he shouldn't be among them, where he's had some safety for a little while, but he also doesn't want to go out to battle, because that would not be good either if King Saul finds out that David's fighting. He doesn't want to fight his own people because he knows he's going to be king later, and it, if it turns out, well, David, why did you fight your own people? That's not good PR as king. So He's in a sticky situation. So how does he get out of this? How does he get out of this difficult situation, this impossible situation, without betraying one or the other? Well, the Lord provides a way out. The Lord provides an unlikely way out. By David's loyalty being questioned, David protests, and so now David's sent back to the area he's been assigned, which we learn later is called Ziglag. So David's out. He doesn't have to fight his own people. He doesn't have to come across as being disloyal or untrustworthy. He gets to go home. And so that's what happens. Now, when your loyalty is questioned, when your character is brought up in question, it ruins our day. It doesn't feel good at all. What do you, what do you mean? What are you talking about? 
This is just the start of David's bad day and a series of bad days. Chapter 30, let's pick it up in verse 1. Now, when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negib and against Ziglag. And they had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So David is making his way back to Ziglag as they're traveling south, making their way down. The Amalekites come in and they destroy the city, burn it to fire, nothing's left, and they take women, infant, children, everybody is gone. They take them captive. But David arrives and this is how he finds it. Everything is gone, stuff is plundered, homes destroyed. His day just got a lot worse, a lot worse. Now, by God's grace, nobody had been killed. But I don't think at this point David knows that. I think at this point, we could speculate that David believes everybody could be in a mass grave or could be slaves or something. He doesn't know. And so, because he doesn't know, because everything is in ruin, everything's in flames and fire and destroyed, he is bitter in soul. He's lost all hope. He's got nothing left. In fact, it says the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. They were exhausted. They have nothing left. The tank is empty. This is a low point for David and for his men. And now to make matters worse, David's lost his wife and kids, just like everybody else. But now they start turning on David. David, why did you let this happen? They start blaming David for this. Let's stone him. They're bitter in soul. They're so distressed, so much sorrow, so much despair. They're looking for somebody to blame. And so they go after David. Not just talking about violence. They say we're gonna, not just, hey, David, why did you do this? We're talking about stoning him. He's in the same situation they are. And now David is left alone. He's got no one, no family, no friends, his, his men, everybody else is talking against him. They want to kill him. So what does he do? He is totally left, not even sure what to do or where to go. The tank is empty. He needs something. Now, when things got really bad for Saul, he turned to mediums and he went to speak to the dead. David, on the other hand, does the complete opposite. He goes to the Lord. The text says he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Because David realized he's got nothing left. Absolutely nothing left except his God. 
And so that's what David does. And it's this point here, this is the turning point in our passage. Things had gotten from kind of bad to really bad. Everything is gone. Everything is burned. And David turns to the Lord. And so he needs a word. He needs some direction. And so in verse 7, it says, And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. And so Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he, that is the Lord, answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. For you shall surely overtake and you shall surely rescue. David goes to the priest. He asks Abithar for the ephod. The ephod was a garment that the priest would wear to help gain some direction, uh, to hear from the Lord, to determine the Lord's will. Not exactly sure how that works, but we know that we read from Exodus 28 and other passages in the Old Testament that this was a prominent tool that the priest would use to gain direction from the Lord. Um, this is not an ephod, just want you to know. I do not have an ephod. Uh, but the Lord would use this in the Old Testament to help give direction on where should happen, what should we do as they inquire. And so David goes to the Lord and inquires this question, shall I pursue and shall I overtake? And the Lord answers simply, pursue. For you shall surely overtake and, you, and, and shall surely rescue. Now, at this point, remember, I don't think David knows whether or not his family is alive or dead. But by going to the Lord, not only does he get some direction on next steps and what do I do in my grief? What do I do in my despair? What do I do in my sorrow? He also gets a word of hope because the Lord doesn't say go and recover, go and mourn, just go and overtake. The Lord says go and rescue. There's a big difference. We use the word rescue versus recover. Rescue means we're going to uh, save. We're going to rescue someone who's still alive. We still have hope that they're still living. Recover tends to be, um, we're going to recover their, their bodies. We're going to recover um, those that have perished. I recently watched a special on 9-11 about the iron workers who were there uh, that day. They were called in after the towers had fallen to, to come in and, and to uh, Rescue those that had been trapped in, in these buildings, the Twin Towers. And so they, they talk about and share their story about how they were there to, to rescue people. And they were the only ones that could do it because they were the iron workers. They were the ones that helped build these massive buildings. So they get called in. And after days and weeks, what was considered a rescue mission became a recovery effort. It was now to recover the bodies of those that had perished. So there's a big difference between the word rescue and recovery. And God says, go and rescue, for you shall surely rescue. And I think that gives David hope. I think that gives David hope to know that all is not lost. So David and his men, his 600 men, they head off in hot pursuit. They start heading down. They're exhausted. They've just come from Achish. I don't think they've rested much because they come upon this destruction. And what do we do? We've got to get some answers. Let's go. And so David takes his men and they start heading down and they come to this brook called the Brook Bezor. 200, 200 of his men are exhausted. They've got nothing left and rightfully so. Totally get that. 
They hang out by the brook. They're gonna stay by all their stuff, their baggage, their provisions. And David and his 400 men, they head off in hot pursuit, going after whoever did this. And they come upon an Egyptian man. An Egyptian man who's been left for dead by the Amalekites. He says he was sick for three days. And so David and his men, they give him some provision. They give him some food cake and some raisins and water. If you don't like raisins... I'm not sure they're going to revive you, much like it did for this Egyptian man. But maybe miracle raisins, who knows? But David and his men recover, and they, they help this man, and he, he comes alive again. He, he gains his strength. And he says, yeah, I was a servant of an Amalekite. And a few days ago, we attacked the city of Ziglag. Oh, okay. This guy's got some information for us. And so he makes a deal with David. He says, if you let me live, I will take you to where the Amalekites are camped. Just don't hand me over to my old master and don't kill me. David says, deal, we'll do it. So David and his 400 men, they head off, they're heading down, they come upon the Amalekites camped out and they're having a good old time. Uh, laughing, dancing, drinking, having a good old party, all sorts, enjoying the, the spoils of their raids that they've had, I'm sure. And David waits with the Egyptian until nightfall and they attack. And all is destroyed except for 400 men who fled on camels. Now the Amalekites, if you recall, they're not known for being good people. They're not known for being gracious people, not very hospitable people. The Amalekites were the same people that the Lord told King Saul to go and destroy several chapters ago. The Lord told King Saul, go destroy the Amalekites. Devote yourself to destruction, he says. And Saul did not do that. And so Samuel the prophet came back to Saul and said, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, God now rejects you as king of Israel. That's who the Amalekites are. And now David comes and destroys them. You shall surely overtake. 400 men got away. They come back around later. So, David recovers. David uh, recovers all that's lost. In fact, verse 18 says, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. What God said would happen, happened. David and his men were reunited and all their bad days that they had 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 suddenly been redeemed. Families were reunited. Stuff was regathered. The flocks and the herds that they had, they head back. And I can imagine this reunion, right? Hugs and, and sounds of joy when they were weeping so much before. And they come back to the 200 men that were gathered at the brook. And they get there. And, and it doesn't take too long for some complaining to happen some of the men to start to get jealous. Uh, in verses 22 through 25, we read that the, the 400 men who came back, they look at the 200 men who were sitting by the bag and say, you guys are lazy bumps. We did all the work. We're gonna keep all the stuff. Yeah, you can have your wives and kids, but we're keeping everything else. And David said, no, 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 no. That's not how this goes. Yeah, you guys who fought are important, but so are those that stay behind with the baggage. And so we're gonna give an equal share and in fact, um, David gives the Lord credit. 
He gives the Lord credit for what happened, not just that you guys were great and you guys fought, but in 23, David says, you shall not do so, my brothers. You shall not not share. You're going to share with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. David gives God credit. He gives him the glory for what happened, for their success. God paved the way for David and his men to recover everything that they lost, to recover and to uh, heal their brokenness and their despair. Their wives and family were not lost. They were not killed by God's grace. And David gives them the credit. In fact, David now says that this idea of sharing everything that we gathered, that's now going to be a law. He says it's going to become a statute that we're going to stick to from here on out. David gives God the credit. In their brokenness and in their weakness, God restored them. And God's power and glory are no match in their despair. And the same can be true for us. When we are at our worst, when we feel that life is is against us, when the odds are stacked against us, and we feel we have no hope, no escape, no way out whatsoever, and we feel alone, What do we do with that? Where do we go? It's it's in those seemingly impossible situations that God can do his greatest work. When it seems impossible for us, God can do his best, best work if we let him. Because when God does something so miraculous and it had nothing to do with us, We have no choice but to give him the glory. Our darkest days are the best days for God's glory to shine. Our darkest days are the best days for God's glory to shine. David strengthened himself in the Lord. He sought after the Lord. The Lord answered his prayer. The Lord gave him a word of direction, a word of hope. And David followed through and God honored that. And David gave God the glory David didn't trust in in himself. He didn't trust in mediums or speaking to the dead. He didn't even trust in his own strength and his own valor. He trusted the Lord. And the Lord said, go. In the midst of his challenges, David sought after the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. What are the challenges that you're facing today? Are you without hope? Are you lost? Are you at a place where uh, those around you are maybe greatly distressed? Hopefully they're not threatening to stone you. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Don't lose hope. Maybe you've wept and wept and wept and you've got nothing left. The tank is empty. Do not lose hope. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. You may find yourself in a position where you are without hope and you're finding and facing one of the darkest days of your life and there's no one around, no one's available. Could be the wee hours of the morning. Could be late at night. Could be in the midst of disaster. What are you going to do? David recalled that God was good in the past. 
And he remembered that God is good still. And in those dark days, he trusted the Lord. Now, maybe you find yourself and you can call a friend. Maybe you can call, a, if you're in a group, you can call a group leader. You could uh, call a, a, a family member. Maybe you call the church. I'm facing some dark days. We'd be happy and be a privilege to come alongside you, help strengthen you in the Lord, point you to scripture, to pray with you, to encourage you in that way. Maybe it's remembering the dark days. We've had some dark days over the last couple of years, whether it's, um, you know, pandemic stuff or whether it's we lost a job or a relationship or any sense of what normal used to be like. Tough days. They'll come around again. Tough days always come. We can remember what David said in Psalm 18. Some verses that David wrote down. In his weakness, he looked to the Lord for his strength. Psalm 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. These are words of strength. Words that help to uh, build his resolve in the midst of dark days. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In my distress, I call upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. He continues, for who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with the strength, with strength and made my way blameless. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Remember, like David did, the words of the Lord when we face dark, dark days. Remember, a few years ago, it was January of 2019, um, I was here at the church, and I was out in the foyer, and uh, my wife called me. And usually when my wife calls me, it's not a good thing. And so I was out. That's not a bad thing about my wife, just want you to know. <laughs> Um, we were, I was out here and I get a wife, uh, a call from my wife and she's very upset. Said there's been an accident at home and we have to take our youngest son who was almost four at the time to the emergency room. He had had a, a head injury in the house, blood everywhere. And um, it was a Thursday. It's in the evening and I, I rush home. I meet them there and I take them back and I'm sitting there. I'm got, they've got him wrapped in a, in a sheet, you know, so I can hold him down so they can stitch his forehead. And, you know, I'm, I'm there. The doctors were great, but, you know, I'm, I'm inches, inches from his head. And I asked the doctor, I said, is that, um, is that, yeah, that's his skull. And so, so that night, you know, we, we go home and the next morning I'm scheduled to be at the hospital with my wife. A scheduled surgery procedure, which is supposed to be same day and supposed to be routine, though it seems pretty <laughs> significant to me. They take my wife back and they, they cover all sorts of things like, do you have a, a living will and you're the point of contact and I'm like, yeah, so if anything happens, you know, do you have a, you know, all these worst case scenarios are telling you and I'm like, yeah. I go to the cafeteria there at the hospital and I sit down at this table. 
And the trauma of the night before hit me. Because I thought at that point, in the midst of all that, that I was going to lose my son. They stitch him up. We still had to clean up blood on the floor, I'm sure. And my wife's taken back. And I thought, what am I doing? What's going on? God, why did you allow this to happen? My son, he's four. He's not even four years old. That Saturday, I was supposed to have a meeting here at the church. And at the time, I, missions were part of my responsibility. And I was, we were just starting a process to, to look into where we were going to spend the next several years in our focus strategy. We, we didn't even, I'm not even sure we were calling it focus at that point. And I was supposed to have a meeting. And it felt really personal that this was going to happen, that this had happened to my family because I said to the Lord, why is this happening? And I remember some wise words from someone who said to me, Steve, don't be surprised when we are advancing on the darkness of this world and against the enemy of God that we're going to come under attack. And I knew at that point, I wasn't expecting it, but my family took a hit and I was not happy. That was hard. <laughs> Turns out that meeting was what the first meeting that led to us choosing Lebanon as our focus. And I knew that God was going to use it. God better use this for his glory. Because my family got hurt. <laughs> Turns out my kid's okay. God spared him. God spared his life. God spared his brain. That's 30 minutes after we got home. He's standing there proud as can be. Probably because he got a popsicle. <laughs> I said, Connor, you can have as many popsicles as you want. And I'm buying you a helmet. <laughs> but I really questioned, God, where are you? Why did you let this happen? wasn't the first time we had been at the ER with him and it certainly wasn't the last but as I sat at that table in the cafeteria of the hospital in the midst of darkness in the midst of my despair questioning everything God brought a song to my mind a song that I had only heard maybe once or twice and that song goes like this it says where are you now when darkness seems to win, where are you now when the world is crumbling? I hear you say, look up, child. Where are you now when all, is, when, I feel, when all I feel is doubt? Where are you now? When I can't figure it out, I hear you say, look up, child. You're not threatened by the war. You're not shaken by the storm. I know you're in control. Even in our suffering, when it can't be seen, I know you're in control. And I hear you say, look up, child. I heard God say to me through that song that day, I listened to the song on repeat. So I'm sitting there sobbing my eyes out in the cafeteria of that hospital. Look up, child. Because if I had kept my gaze on the horizon and didn't look up, all I saw was darkness. I had to look up and see that God was good 
that God was going to see me through and give him the glory. Because Connor's fine. He's got a scar. But he's great. I saw God do amazing things. God worked through that situation. And I was going to be sure to give God the glory. Whatever you're facing, the darkest of days are the best days for us to give glory to God. Because that's when his glory shines. When we're at our worst, when we feel no hope and nothing's left, that's when we can give God the glory. I don't know. I don't know what you're going to face this week. And I don't know what you're going to face in the next few days. But I'm certain that we can give God the glory because he is worthy, because God is good, and God is in control. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Lord, I wasn't expecting to get all teary-eyed. But Lord, I know that you've got a message for somebody who's facing a dark day right now. That you are good. That you were good to David when he lost his family. He had no clue what was going on. His home is burned. You saw fit to preserve them, to see him through, to strengthen himself in the Lord because he knew that you were good, that you are his rock and his refuge. And Lord, we pray, I pray today for each of us that when we face a dark day again, when we face uh, an impossible situation, that you are good, that you are in control. And God, may, may we give you the glory. Lord Jesus, see us through. You have conquered the darkest of days. You've conquered the enemy. He knows his days are numbered. And may we give you the honor. May we Praise your name as David did again and again through every dark day until you return. Lord, we ask this and we pray in the strong name of Jesus. <laughs>